أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم Lesson number 71 سورة المائدة will begin from ayah number 35 يا أيها الذين آمنوا O you who have believed اتقوا الله Fear Allah وابتغوا إليه الوسيلة And seek the means of nearness to him وَجَاهِدُوا فِي سَبِيلِهِ And strive in his cause. Why? لَعَلَّكُمْ تُفْلِحُونَ So that you can be successful. Who is being addressed over here? The believers. And how is the address? يَا أَيُّهَا Our attention is being demanded. So all believers, listen attentively. What do you have to do? اِتَّقُوا اللَّهَ Fear Allah. And وَبْتَغُوا إِلَيْهِ الْوَسِيلَةِ Seek wasila to him. To who? The one whom you should fear. And who is that? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now what does it mean by this? Seek a wasila to him. The word wasila is from the root letters waw seen lam. And wasila is a means of attaining closeness to something or someone. It's basically a means through which you attain your purpose. You attain your objective. Your objective is to get to a particular destination. So you take a train to get there. Why? Because when you will take a train, what will happen? You will get to your destination. So the train is a means of bringing you to your destination. It's a means of drawing you closer to your destination. Likewise, if you want to go up on the 7th or the 10th floor of a building, then you have to adopt a means in order to get there. What's that means? Either the stairs or the elevator. So this is what wasila is. Now over here we are told, adopt a means of attaining closeness to who? Ilayhi, to him, meaning to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Do something... Hold on to something, grab something, perform something so that you can attain the objective. What's your objective? What's your goal in life? To earn Allah's pleasure. So do something to make Allah happy. Do something to earn His pleasure, His approval, His happiness. Now what is it that we can adopt? Some people say it refers to, you know, like some righteous person, some saint, that you make them happy, you give them a pledge of allegiance. And then what will happen? When you're connected with them, you'll be connected with Allah. But if that was the case, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would not have told us in this ayah that fear Allah. And right after wasila, He would not have told us to do jihad. Because then holding on to a person, a righteous individual, would have been sufficient. Then a person doesn't need to do anything himself. What does it mean by this wasila? Perform something yourself in order to get to your destination. You know, for example, if you want to get to a particular place, then you don't just go and hold on to the bus driver. No. You don't just go and hold on to the conductor of a train. What do you do? You go buy a ticket, you go stay on the train, and you travel the distance. You have to do that in order to get to your destination. Holding on to an individual is not sufficient. You can't just rely on your father, that okay, my father is going to get the ticket, and he's going to take me there, and he's going to make me sit, and then he's going to take me to my destination. No. You have to do something yourself. People can guide you, they can help you, they can show you the way, they can direct you, but not beyond that. So what are those things that we can do in order to attain Allah's pleasure, in order to get to Him? What is it that we can do? 
If you summarize it, what is it? Good deeds. The deeds that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has prescribed. The actions that Allah has told us to perform. Because when we perform them, what happens? We draw closer to Allah. In a hadith Qudsi, the Prophet ﷺ, he said that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, My servant does not come closer to me with anything more dear to me than that which I have made obligatory upon him. Meaning, the actions that Allah has made fard on us, when we perform those fard actions, then what happens? We attain closeness to Allah. Tell me, the month of Ramadan, obligatory fasting. When you go through that, what happens? You feel closeness to Allah. You feel that you have a better connection. Before Ramadan also, you were a believer, alhamdulillah. You were praying salah, you were doing many things, alhamdulillah. But what happened when you performed an obligatory deed, you attained closeness to Him. Likewise, people perform many good deeds, but when they go to perform hajj, an obligatory action, right? Then what happens? They attain closeness to Allah. You can be very charitable, but when you give zakat, then what happens? You feel good about yourself, alhamdulillah, that you've done something for the sake of Allah, so you do attain that closeness. So how does a person attain closeness to Allah? By the performance of what? The obligatory deeds, fard actions. Allah says, my servant keeps coming closer to me with more voluntary deeds. Meaning when he performs extra actions, voluntary actions, then what happens? He draws even closer. So one is that a person just fasts the month of Ramadan. He stops there. And then the other is that he fasts six fasts in the month of Shawwal as well. What will happen with those six additional fasts? He will draw even closer. And then the other step is that a person begins fasting the three white days of the month. With that he will draw even closer. And then the next step is that a person starts fasting Monday and Thursday. So with every additional voluntary action, what will happen? He will attain more and more closeness to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The Prophet ﷺ said, on Monday and Thursday, the deeds of a person are presented before Allah. So I like that my deeds are presented to Him while I am fasting. Right? So this is why He would fast on Monday and Thursday. So what happens? With every good deed, a person draws closer to Allah. So Allah says, يَا أَيُّهَا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا اتَّقُوا اللَّهَ وَابْتَغُوا إِلَيْهِ الْوَسِيلَةِ now think about it. Anybody that you love, anybody, you want to be close with them. Or anybody you know that you're supposed to love. For example, your mom. And if you feel that you don't have a great relationship with her, you feel that you should be close to her. And then what do you do in order to be close to someone? To be good friends with them. What do you do? You just sit there? You just expect them to love you? You have to do something yourself as well. You have to put in the effort. You have to write to them, you have to call them, you have to keep in touch with them, you have to text them, you have to update them about what's going on in your life, you have to consult them, you have to take their shura, their suggestion. So this is something that brings you closer to others. So when you want to attain closeness to Allah, then you have to do the appropriate actions as well. Now these actions, like I mentioned to you earlier, fard and voluntary actions, right? But it's not just limited to that. There are different 
kinds of actions that a person performs. Some are of the body, meaning limbs, so literally actions. For example, what actions do we perform with our body, with our badan? Such rituals that we perform in order to come closer to Allah. Salah. Next is actions which are lisani, meaning certain words that a person says in order to come closer to Allah. What are those words? Dua. What else? Recitation of the Qur'an. Dhikr, remembrance of Allah. Fadkuruni. And then what will happen? Adkurkum. So, dhikr also. Likewise, these actions are qalbi, meaning of the heart. So what does that include? Love of Allah, fear of Allah, sabr for the sake of Allah, hope in Allah, tawakkul ala Allah. So all of these actions, they draw a person closer to Allah. And qira'ah was mentioned, recitation of the Qur'an was mentioned when it comes to lisani. Now, the Qur'an has been described as what? Hablullah, the rope of Allah. What does a rope do? As you use it, as you climb it, as you go upwards, you get to your destination, right? So this is the rope that Allah has given to us in order to come closer to Him. The Qur'an is. What will happen on the Day of Judgment? A person will be told, Iqra' wartaqi, recite and ascend. Ascend, go higher and higher and higher in Jannah. The highest level of Jannah is what? Firdaus. And above that is what? The Arsh of Ar-Rahman. So, the more a person recites the Quran, the closer he gets to Allah. So, Ya ayyuhalladina amanu, ittakullaha wa butagu ilayhil wasila. Every day, do something special to come closer to Allah than yesterday. So that by the end of today, you feel closer to Allah than you were yesterday. And start with performing the obligations and you will see a difference. Assalamu alaikum. I hear a sheikh saying every khatma of Quran, there is accepting of dua, inshallah. So I try myself and this is, it came true. So every khatma of the Quran, I wait for a dua to come true, inshallah. And you guys try it, inshallah. So this is something that will draw you closer to Allah. When you make dua and you see it accepted, it will draw you closer to Allah. Uh, alaikum. In the dua class, Walid Basuni said, like, um, sometimes we are making dua for this and we are making dua for that. But if you spend your time doing the care of Allah, then Allah will give you more than what you would ask for. So we got to do more azkar than, you know, spending your time asking for this or asking for that, inshallah. But of ask course we as can well. ask as well. Definitely ask as well. But like in the hadith we learn, keep your tongue moist with the remembrance of Allah. Because when you engage yourself in the dhikr of Allah, you remember Allah, then Allah remembers you. And when He remembers you, every need of yours that even you don't realize, He will give you. Things that you forget to ask, He will provide for you. Because He remembers you. So, فَذْكُرُونِي أَذْكُرْكُمْ And you know that hadith that I mentioned to you, in which Allah says that when a person performs the obligatory deeds, he draws closer to Allah. And then the hadith continues that my servant keeps coming closer to me with more voluntary deeds until I love him. 
And when I love him, I become his ear by which he hears, his eyes by which he sees, his hand by which he holds, and his foot by which he walks. What this means is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is so close to a person that his help, his assistance is always there with a person. That a person really never feels alone, never feels alone. He's happy. He feels the presence you know, of Allah's rahmah, of his ta'yid, of his help. And the hadith continues that if he asks me anything, I shall give him. If he seeks my protection, then I shall grant him my protection. This is why, do that which will bring you closer to Allah. And the thing is, that anything in life, any person in life, you can be very, very close to them. But a time will come when they will either disappoint you, or they will leave you, or you will leave them. Isn't that so? Anything that you love. I visited somebody's house, and mashallah, very beautiful, very nice house. And they said that there was a person, a builder basically, and he built this whole complex, and this house, he had it made for himself. So everything in that house, you can imagine, was perfect. Okay, first of all, he's a builder, and secondly, he made that house for himself. But for whatever reason, he couldn't live there. So he had to sell that house. And the people who are living in it now, you know, they got something ready-made, so perfect. So this is a reality. The things of this dunya, you rush towards them, you want to stay with them, you want to attach yourself with them, but you cannot live with them forever. They will leave you, you will leave them. It's not worth it. So which relationship is the best relationship? With Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Being close to Allah. Because if you're close to Him in this dunya, then no matter where you are, no matter what difficulty you're in, He will not abandon you. You will be at peace. You will receive Allah's mercy. At the point where everybody will leave you, when they will put you under the ground, cover you with dust and walk away. If you've been close to Allah, then Allah's help will be with you. At the time when no one will help and no one will care on the day of judgment, your own mother will leave you, your own father will run away from you, your husband who says he loves you to bits, your children who keep saying that they love you, they will leave you, run away from you. Except for who? Those who come to Allah with qalbin salim, with a heart that is full of Allah's love, a sound heart. So, the purpose of this life is to come close to Allah. And this is something that doesn't happen by itself. You have to strive to get to this level. And what striving is required, like we discussed earlier, the fard deeds, the nawafil, qalbi actions, badni actions, lisani actions, all of these are required to come closer to Allah. So, وَبْتَغُوا إِلَيْهِ الْوَسِيلَةِ وَجَاهِدُوا فِي سَبِيلِهِ And strive in His way. لَعَلَّكُمْ تُفْلِحُونَ So that you may be successful. What does it mean? That without these three things, you can never be successful in life, nor in the hereafter. What's the other side? That a person is far from Allah, distant from Allah. And if that's the case, إِنَّ الَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا Indeed, those people who disbelieve, لَوْ أَنَّ لَهُمْ مَا فِي الْأَرْضِ جَمِيعًا if they possessed everything that is in the earth, jamiran, all together, at the same time. Meaning a person owns everything that is on this planet. 
وَمِثْلَهُ مَعَهُ And it's equivalent along with it. He doesn't just own everything that's on the earth, but twice it's like. وَمِثْلَهُ مَعَهُ If he possessed all of this, لِيَفْتَدُوا بِهِ مِنْ عَذَابِ يَوْمِ الْقِيَامَةِ In order to ransom themselves from the punishment on the Day of Judgment, Allah says, مَا تُقُبِّلَ مِنْهُمْ It will not be accepted from them. وَلَهُمْ عَذَابٌ أَلِيمٌ And for them is a painful punishment. Why? Because the time to come closer to Allah is when? In this life. When a person spends in the way of Allah, he attains closeness to Allah. And if he doesn't spend now, on the day of judgment, he wishes to spend everything on the earth. Twice it's like, it's not worth anything. It's not going to get him closer to Allah. It's not going to save him from any kind of punishment. In a hadith we learn, a man from the people of the fire will be brought forth and will be asked, O son of Adam, how did you find your dwelling? How did you find your home of the hereafter? He will say, it is the worst dwelling. Obviously, it's the fire of hell. He will be told, would you ransom yourself with the earth's fill of gold? He will say, yes, O Lord, of course. That if I am given the earth's fill of gold, I would give it up immediately to free myself from the hell fire. Allah will say to him, you have lied. I asked you for what is less than that, and you did not do it. And he will be ordered to the fire. He will be sent back. Because in this dunya, you could give even one dollar, one cent even, if you give with the intention of drawing closer to Allah. You give something, you spend very little, but you want to attain closeness to Allah. That is sufficient. It's not the quantity that matters. What matters is your niyyah, the striving of the heart. Which is why once a companion, when he brought just a handful of dates to the Prophet ﷺ, because that's all he had, after a whole day and night of work, that's all that he had earned. That's all he could offer in the way of Allah. Because the Muslims were going for the expedition to the book. It was a very long expedition, a very difficult and long journey in the heat of the summer to meet an army that they had never faced before. So he had that handful of dates. When he brought that, the Prophet ﷺ put that on top of everything else that people had brought. On the top to show how valuable, how important it is. You know like we learned earlier, that some deeds Allah accepts and others He rejects. When deeds are accepted, then a person draws closer to Allah. So we should worry about performing those deeds which Allah will accept. And for that, ikhlasun niya, sincerity of intention, is crucial, is very important. So do little even, but do that purely for Him, so that you can attain His closeness. Because there's no use, there's no benefit in doing a lot, but without your heart involved in it, so that it doesn't bring you closer to Allah. The point is to come closer to Allah, even if it's the performance of small deeds. Which kind of deeds does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala like? Deeds which are consistent, even if they may be small. Don't we learn about that prostitute woman who had mercy on a thirsty dog that was licking wet mud? She went down, got water in her shoe, and gave it to the dog to drink. Small deed apparently. But that is something that brought her so close to Allah that Allah forgave her. So the objective is, come closer to Allah. 
do what you do for Him. Because if that is done, then you're saved. And if that is not done, then no matter what you've accumulated in this life, it's not worth anything. On the Day of Judgment, if the whole earth's fill of gold is offered, it's not going to help a person. يُرِيدُونَ أَن يَخْرُجُوا مِنَ النَّارِ They will wish to get out of the fire. وَمَا هُمْ بِخَارِجِينَ مِنْهَا And they will not come out of it at all. The people of the fire, they will try to come out of the fire, but they won't be able to come out. وَلَهُمْ عَذَابٌ مُقِيمٌ And for them is an enduring punishment. مُقِيم Lasting punishment. مُقِيم is from إِقَامَة Muqim is also used for a resident, someone who is a permanent resident, who is just staying there, not leaving. So they will be in the fire, suffering the punishment forever, never coming out. Never will that punishment end for them. And they will try to get out, but they won't be able to get out of the fire. Why? Because first of all, the punishment is so severe, that with that pain and hurt and agony, how much can they do to get out? You know like if a person is suffering a lot of pain, then they can't even move sometimes. On top of that, the flames will be so high. And even if they manage to get out of that, the guards that are appointed over hellfire, they are so strict. عَلَيْهَا مَلَائِكَةٌ غِلَاظٌ شِدَادٌ Severe, harsh, angels, guards. So they won't be able to leave the hellfire. وَلَهُمْ عَذَابٌ مُقِيمٌ And for them is... A lasting and enduring punishment. So Jahannam is like a prison. The worst prison from which no one can come out unless Allah takes him out. Unless Allah takes him out. Recitation. As for the thief, the male and the female. Sariq, male thief. Sariqah, female thief. So a thief, whether male or female, regardless of their gender, what has to be done? فَقْطَعُوا أَيْدِيَهُمَا Execute the punishment on them. And what is that? Cut off their hand. The word sariq, sariqah, is from the root letter seen raqaf. And what does that mean? Theft. What is theft? Who is a thief? What is theft? What do you understand theft is? To take something that doesn't belong to you. So a person is walking out of a masjid, they like somebody's shoes, they pick them up, and they take them. They don't belong to them, they like them, they pick them up. A person goes to a store, they like some clothes, and they manage to get the tag off, or you know those security things. And then they walk out with them. This is what? Theft. To take something that doesn't belong to you. But 
Is it just to take something that doesn't belong to you? Or is there any additional condition over here when it comes to theft? Without permission, what else? If somebody comes and takes something that doesn't belong to them in front of everybody at gunpoint, that's not theft. Okay? But if they take it secretly, without anyone else finding out about it, So for example, they go into the change room and then they try to cut off the tag or those security labels and, and then they walk out with it. Because if they were to do it in front of everybody, then they won't be able to do it. So theft is basically, let me tell you the definition, it is to take somebody's wealth, how? Secretly. Khufiyatan, secretly. From who? From the malik or from his na'ib. From the malik, as in from the owner. So to take the wealth of an owner, how? Secretly. Or to take it from the owner's na'ib. Who is na'ib? Representative. Meaning somebody who is managing that property, that money, that wealth, for somebody else. So for example, there is a store. And let's say you find that store in every mall that you go in Canada. For example. And the person who's present at the store, who's the manager, is not the owner. They're just working there. Now, if a person steals something from that store, that is also theft. Even though it belongs to a multinational company, still it is theft. Why? Because it was taken from who? From the na'ib, from the representative. Because all the people who are working in that store, who are they? Those who have been appointed by the owner, to manage that wealth, to look after that wealth. If the wealth is taken in front of everybody by the use of force or something, that is called ghasp. Okay, ghasp. And that is an example of fasad fil ard. That is much worse than theft. And for that, what's the punishment? That the hand and foot be cut off. Not just the hand, but the hand and the foot. Because it's not just... an act of theft, but it's an act of violence. It's frightening people. It's disturbing them. Like we learned earlier, the punishment for fasad fil ard is what? One of them is that the hand and foot be cut off from the opposite side. So anyway, the male thief and the female thief, it doesn't matter what the gender is. It doesn't matter what the social status is. It doesn't matter what their educational background is. It doesn't matter what their... profession is. It doesn't matter who they are. If they commit theft, whether they are you know, somebody with a high position in the government or somebody who was just walking down the street, a student, a child, a wife who doesn't get money from her husband, it doesn't matter who the person is. If they commit theft, then the punishment, Allah says, execute it. And what is that? فَقْطَعُوا أَيْدِيَهُمَا Cut off their hand. It doesn't mean both their hands. It means their hand. Meaning of the male thief and of the female thief. And this is a very serious punishment. Allah says this punishment is جَزَاءً irrecompense بِمَا كَسَبَ For what they have earned. They themselves brought this upon themselves. How? That they used their hand to take somebody else's property without their permission. That same hand cut it off 
Why? Nakalam min Allah, an exemplary punishment from Allah. For who? For the thief and for everybody else. That if you see someone without a hand, their hand has been cut off, and you find out that it's because they committed theft, then you wouldn't dare to do so. The problem is that these days when we see people committing theft right, left and center, all over the place, in the masjid, outside the masjid, all over, you know, from parking lots, from people's houses, and what are the consequences? What are the consequences? Sometimes just a fine, sometimes maybe jail for a month, or maybe two, maybe ten months, something like that. Then, anybody can dare to steal. Anybody can do that. But if you see someone with a hand chopped off, it scares you. I remember as a child, I was at a masjid, a big masjid, and I saw a woman who didn't have hands. She didn't have hands. I don't know if that was an abnormality, it was because of some surgical procedure, or it was in a Muslim country, or it was because of punishment of theft or what. Allahu alam what the reason was. But I didn't see her hands. And the first thing that came to my mind was, you know, this is the punishment for theft. Allahu alam what her situation was. But I remember that fear in my heart. Like I saw her and that fear still exists today. To see somebody who doesn't have a hand. And it is said that when the punishment is executed, then the hand is to be hung around the neck of the person for several days. So that people see that this is a person who committed theft. It's humiliation, disgrace for the person in this dunya, and a great warning for others. But unfortunately, when little children don't even see this, what happens is that as children, they develop the habit of stealing things. In school, somebody's pen, somebody's eraser. Then as they get older, somebody's phone case, then it becomes somebody's phone. One thing after the other, until people develop such bad habits that they start committing great crimes then. You know, we think of theft as stealing money and clothes or whatever, but even downloading software illegally and taking from each other, even this is basically theft. Yes. And I know somebody who designs kitchens, and a family called him once and took all his ideas. They said, okay, we're going to think about it and stuff like that. And they actually had the audacity to take his design and call a cheaper person and have it made. And they forgot all about it. But this person who's a designer, he's not going to forget his design. He was called to do the basement the next time. And when he walked into the house, he was shocked. He said, this is a well-to-do family who just took my design, got a cheaper person to do it, and they had the cheek to call me to design for their basement. And he walked out saying, I'm sorry, I don't have time. He said, I was too embarrassed to confront them with this. I mean, this is theft, basically, taking somebody's ideas. But we don't realize it. We don't realize that this dunya is very transitory. People don't even think of it as bad. Yes. That's the sad thing. Yes. And unfortunately we think, oh, if you take non-Muslim things, then it's not a big deal. They're kuffar anyway. No. We learned about the Bani Israel earlier, that they had double standards, right? Laysa alayna fil ummiyina sabil. That we are not punishable for what we do with the ummiyin. We can do whatever with them. So similarly, we Muslims also many times think that we can steal somebody's 
software and we say, oh, these are multi-millionaire big companies that are so oppressive and it doesn't matter to them if I download it once, what's the big deal and why should I make them richer by buying software? This is what we think. I mean, if I buy it from them, they'll become richer and then they will harm the Muslims. Come on. Either don't take it or if you take it, then take it correctly. If the owner forgives, then that is his generosity and his reward is with Allah inshallah. But if the owner doesn't forgive, then what are you going to do? In the hadith, what do we learn? The greatest muflis, the poorest person of the ummah is who? Someone who walks in on the day of judgment with a whole lot of good deeds. Mountains of good deeds. But what happens? Other people come complaining to Allah that this person harmed me in this way, harmed me in that way. And what will happen? His good deeds will be given to them. And at the end, he'll be left with nothing. And still more people will be coming, demanding their rights. And what will happen? Their sins will be transferred to him. So the good deeds that could have taken him to Jannah, Now the sins of others that he has taken, he will end up in hellfire because of them. So nakala min Allah, wallahu azizun hakim, and Allah is mighty and wise. And sometimes it happens that you are at a store, or you are getting onto the bus, and then because you don't have the right change, or even you may have the money, but they say, it's okay, it doesn't matter. No big deal. No, it is a big deal. It does matter. So, وَالسَّارِقُ وَالسَّارِقَةُ فَاقْطَعُوا أَيْدِيَهُمَا جَزَاءً بِمَا كَسَبَا نَكَالًا مِنَ اللَّهِ وَاللَّهُ عَزِيزٌ حَكِيمٌ The Prophet ﷺ said, Allah has cursed the thief who steals the egg and thus has his hands cut off. Who steals the egg, somebody's food, and then he has his hands cut off. Such a person is cursed by Allah. And if you think about it, Anything that a person steals, whether it is a sweater or a shirt, a pair of shoes, is it really worth your hand? Somebody's used shoes, somebody's used phone, somebody's used bag, somebody's used clothes, is it worth your hand? It's not. Nothing of this dunya is. So how can we take anything that belongs to somebody else and then have our hand cut off? We might say, oh, right now nobody's going to cut your hand off, especially where you're living. And even if you were in a Muslim country, you know, with a bribe or two, you know, you could be free easily. But in the eyes of Allah, such a person is cursed. So anybody's thing, is it worth the curse of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? It's not. The Prophet ﷺ, he said, I swear by him in whose hand is my soul. If Fatima, the daughter of Muhammad ﷺ, stole, I would certainly cut off her hand. Because there was a case of a woman by the name of Fatima who would commit theft and she was caught. And uh, punishment was to be executed on her. But because she belonged to a high family, the people requested that a lighter punishment be given. But the Prophet ﷺ said that no. Because in the Qur'an, what does Allah say? وَالسَّارِقُ وَالسَّارِقَةُ Doesn't matter who it is. If they've committed theft, then they deserve the punishment. Regardless of their social status, regardless of their gender. The Prophet ﷺ also said, The thief does not steal and remain a believer while he is stealing. So while a person is stealing, committing theft, then at that time what happens? Iman departs from his heart. There's no iman over there. 
Because it's not possible that a person believes in Allah, believes in the fact that Allah is watching me, believes in the fact that Allah has forbidden me from taking somebody else's property without their permission, and yet that person goes and takes somebody else's thing. That is not iman. So iman leaves the heart of a person when he steals. Now if you see over here, the punishments in Islam are very similar to, or they are of the same nature as a crime that is committed. When it comes to qatl, if a person has committed murder, then what's the punishment? Qisas. That his life should be taken. If a person has committed zina, pleasure of the body, then what's the punishment? Physical pain, lashes. For the unmarried adulterer, what's the punishment? A hundred lashes on the body. So the pleasure of the body, the punishment is pain of the body. Then, when it comes to theft, you draw your hand out, you extend your hand out to take somebody else's thing. That same hand is cut off. And if a person remembers this, that if I take somebody else's thing, my hand will be cut off, then he will never use that hand to commit theft. He won't do that. نَكَالَ مِنَ اللَّهِ وَاللَّهُ عَزِيزٌ حَكِيمٌ And Allah is mighty and hakim. فَمَنْ تَابَ مِنْ بَعْدِ ظُلْمِهِ Then whoever repents after his injustice. What injustice? His theft. Whether it was after being caught or not being caught. Because sometimes it happens that a person commits theft and he is never caught. He's never proven guilty. Nobody catches him. And this person, he does tawbah. He repents to Allah for the sin that he committed before. And وَأَصْلَحَ And he reforms. What reform does he do? That he makes up for the harm that he caused. So for example, he committed theft, he took somebody else's thing, so he gives it back to them. Or if he cannot find the owner, he doesn't know the owner, then he gives the same amount in charity on their behalf. Like for example, a person remembers that they committed theft when they were 12 years old, back home, from their neighbor, they don't even remember their name, there is no way they can get back over there and find that individual and return their property to them or something of equal amount, then what should be done? What's islah then? How should they make up for it? Give something of equal amount in charity on behalf of that person. So that on the day of judgment when they come demanding their right from you, you have something to give them. وَأَصْلَحَ فَإِنَّ اللَّهَ يَتُوبُ عَلَيْهِ Then indeed Allah turns to him in mercy. إِنَّ اللَّهَ غَفُورٌ رَحِيمٌ Indeed Allah is forgiving and merciful. Now, if a person is caught and he is punished, his hand is cut off, does that mean there's no tawbah for him? Yes, he can still do tawbah. Then yes, Allah is still غَفُورٌ رَحِيمٌ Then what's the benefit? His hand is still cut off, that cannot be undone. The thing is that a person will be saved from the punishment in the hereafter. Because the punishment of this dunya is only the beginning. The punishment of this world is only the beginning of punishment. The real punishment is where? In the hereafter. So if a person repents, seeks Allah's forgiveness, whether before or after the worldly punishment, then inshaAllah with Allah's forgiveness, he will be saved from consequences in the hereafter. Allah says, Alam ta'alam, do you not know Annallaha lahumulku samawati wal ard? That to Allah belongs the dominion of the heavens and the earth. Yu'adhibu man yasha'u wa yaghfiru li man yasha'u. He punishes whom he wills and he forgives whom he wills. Because some people might have an objection against this punishment. That why this punishment? Why so barbaric? But tell me, if somebody steals your stuff, something that matters to you, 
something that is of great value to you, they steal it, they take it away from you, and because of that you suffer. What would you want to do? Yes, forgive, but really, do you want to forgive? No, you don't. And if somebody takes your property, and the next day your brother's, the next day your mother's, the next day somebody else's, then they have to be stopped somewhere, then the punishment has to be given. And basically this punishment, it shows how there is no tolerance for theft in our deen. There is no tolerance for this. It's not tolerated at all. Allah doesn't accept it at all. That the punishment is so severe, hand is cut off, a person is deprived of his hand for the rest of his life. It shows how severe this crime is, how there is no tolerance for it. So, يُعَذِّبُ مَنْ يَشَاءُ وَيَغْفِرُ لِمَنْ يَشَاءُ وَاللَّهُ عَلَى كُلِّ شَيْءٍ قَدِيرٌ And Allah is over everything capable. So what does these verses teach us? They teach us that we should respect other people's property. And no matter how much we like it, don't take it. Do not take it because it's not worth it. You know, it's like if there's something that you really, really like, but it's too expensive, you can't afford it, then what do you do? You don't buy it. What do you tell yourself? I'll save the money and then I'll go get it. Or I'll have my father pay for it. I'll have my mother pay for it. Or whatever. But you can't take it. You wait for it. Just like that, when something belongs to somebody else, don't take it. Stop yourself. But what happens is that sometimes, فَطَوَّعَتْ لَهُ نَفْسُهُ The nafs, it allows you. It says, no, grab it, take it. Nobody's watching. Just pretend it's yours and walk out. But this is something that harms the person more than it benefits him. Because eventually he becomes a who? Al-Khasirin. Let's listen to the recitation. وَالسَّارِقُ وَالسَّارِقَةُ فَقَطَعُوا أَيْدِيَهُمَا جَزَاءً بِمَا كَسَبَا نَكَالًا مِّنَ اللَّهِ وَاللَّهُ عَزِيزٌ حَكِيمٌ فَمَنْ تَابَ مِنْ بَعْدِ ظُلْمِهِ وَأَصْلَحَ فَإِنَّ اللَّهَ يَتُوبُ عَلَيْهِ إِنَّ اللَّهَ غَفُورٌ رَّحِيمٌ أَلَمْ تَعْلَمْ أَنَّ اللَّهَ لَهُ مُلْكُ السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ يُعَذِّبُ مَن يَشَاءُ يُعَذِّبُ مَن يَشَاءُ وَيَغْفِرُ لِمَن يَشَاءُ وَاللَّهُ عَلَى كُلِّ شَيْءٍ قَدِيرٌ السلام عليكم I just want to give you an idea of some of the statistics of theft. So in 2010, uh, the number of property thefts in Canada was 199,294. And these are uh, break-in entries, so in a building or a home, and some items were stolen. Similarly, car theft in Canada... There's 400 every single day. Subhanallah. And 400 there's, cars. Uh, there's also many other types of theft. For example, identity thefts also exist. There's about 
11,095 uh, every year. And it, in the, specifically in 2009, it created $10 million in loss. So, for example, someone steals someone's identity, they take a loan in their name, and that person who the, the, the identity was stolen from, they have to pay that loan. So it caused about $10 million in losses. And just the point about how uh, it's very embarrassing uh, to have your hand cut off, just the idea of being called a thief is also very embarrassing. Sometimes when you're in those uh, big malls or, or stores, um, there's people at the door who are checking, like if you have really big items, like if you're buying like a fridge or a microwave or something. So when you're stopped at the door and uh, the person asks to see your receipt, it's so embarrassing, isn't it? It's like, oh, did I, I didn't steal anything. Yeah. So just the, uh, that thought also... Uh, or if you've purchased something and the cashier, let's say, they forget to take that security thing off and as you're walking out, the alarms start going off, everybody starts staring at you, right? As if you're a thief. How humiliating it is. How humiliating it is. And imagine if somebody's hand is cut off and it's hung around their neck and everybody sees them five times a day in the masjid, out in the streets. Humiliation. It's not to, to victimize the criminal, okay? Because he's not the victim anyway. He's a criminal. It's basically to teach him a lesson and teach others through him as well. Because in our deen, we are to side with who? Not the criminal. We are to side with who? The innocents. We are to protect the society. The people who want to live in peace. So if anyone who disrupts that peace we're not going to side with them. We're going to be very strict with them so that they learn a lesson and others learn a lesson and such a mistake is not repeated again. Sometimes uh, when people hear about the punishments in Islam, especially what happens in Saudi Arabia, they say, oh, how barbaric. This is the comment that they always make. But they don't see the statistics. You know, in Saudi Arabia, when the prayer call goes, I have seen the shopkeepers just put a cloth over their ways and they just walk out. Sometimes not even that. It's just left open. I mean, anybody walking past would pick something, but nobody does that. Because they know that it's, the punishment is so severe that acts as a deterrent. And because the punishment over there is executed in front of everybody. Right there and then. Nobody waits for anything. It's not like a person is jailed for five years and then eventually his case is taken out and then eventually he's given the punishment. No. It's executed immediately. There's no delay. No asking the parents consulting the family, nothing. Assalamu I was just thinking that living in Canada, we think that we're so safe that uh, nobody can steal from us. But um, I have a close friend and uh, she told me that somebody had been following them for like a few days and then um, one day nobody was home. So um, when they came back, everything was broken. Everything was stolen. Uh, my friend's sister, she had her fees, uh, she had to pay for her university. That was also stolen. And she had a pet gerbil. So that, I don't know what the thieves were thinking. They pulled out every single hair from his body. So I was thinking that even the thieves, they don't realize what they're doing, but like we really need to be you know, aware of that. And then the thing is that with each criminal action, a person becomes more daring. That he goes deeper and deeper in that. Right? Each crime is worse than the one before. So the first theft is just theft. The other theft is theft and injustice on Allah's creation. Then the next step is theft and vandalism. Assalamu alaikum. 
Sometimes also our kids, they take candies and we don't tell them this is stealing. I remember when I was new to this country, my five-year-old son, we went to a store, um, to the pharmacy, and he saw candy. So he thought it's, he can take it. So he took it and we left. And in the car I saw him eating and I asked him, where did you get the candy? He said, you know, they put it at the shelf, anybody can take it. I said, no, you stole it. So we went back and the lady said, it's okay. I said, no, please. I made him stand outside. I said, wait, I'm going to talk to the lady so she doesn't call police on you, right? So I went, and the lady, she told me, no, it's okay, he didn't. I said, no, I'm going to bring him inside, and you have to tell him, I have to call the police. When he cries, then you say, what can you do? So <laughs> until today, he's, he's 29 now, he won't move a pen from one place to another. I went back inside the store, and the lady said, no, it's okay. I said, no, please. And then he came in, and he said, please. He cried, and he peed. <laughs> he peed. And then she said, what can you do for me? He said, can I come and clean? He said, okay, come next Saturday and clean. So the next Saturday, I took him, and she said, take out the lotions and put down and wipe. And he didn't even know how to wipe. So he just went, you know. And, and then after a couple of months, to six months, the lady told me, where are you from? Because I wasn't covered, nothing. I said, I'm from Africa. I said, do you guys do like this? Uh, you know, now I do with my kids at home. And I said, I saw my mom uh, back home. A thief was being beaten. And my mom said, I have a thief in the house. Come, I have a thief in the house. You know, softly. And my friend said, who's the thief? She said, you. So what did I steal? You steal my sugar every day, you eat my sugar. <laughs> Who gives you permission to eat the sugar every day? Until now, he doesn't take sugar in his tea. So little, little things. We think it's little, but it's not little. I remember we were very little, and um, our neighbors, they had a fruit tree. You don't have that fruit here in Canada, so you guys don't know. But anyway, there was so much fruit in that tree, and me and my sisters were like, wow, let's pick some. And then we got this whole big basket, and we started picking. We filled it up. And it was from the part of the tree which was leaning onto our house. When my mom got home, we showed her, like, look, we got so much of this. She's like, go to their house and return it to them. So we went. We're like, no, how can we go? It's going to be so embarrassing. She's like, no, you have to go. So all of us, we went, all three of us, and you know, we knew them, and we said that, sorry, we took your fruit. We didn't know, and our mom told us that it, this is theft. So she sent us, and they said, no, you can keep it. But that experience of going and having to give it to them and having to confess before somebody, we took your fruit, that itself was a big lesson. I remember when we would come back from school, for the longest time, my mom would just open up our bags and go through everything. What do we have in our bag? Whose pencil is it? Whose eraser is it? Whose pen is it? Whose pencil colors are those? That I never bought you this. This doesn't belong to you. Where did you get this from? Where did this come from? So it's very, very important to do this. Because it begins with little, little things. And it develops into, if not theft, khiyana. The habit of cheating other people. The habit of being deceptive. The habit of being careless towards other people's belongings not respecting other people's things. So it's important that these lessons are taught from the very beginning because the consequences are severe. If not in the dunya, definitely in the akhirah.